0: All right, I want you to take your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 7. The book of Luke chapter 7, and beginning with verse number 36. The book of Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse number 36. Luke chapter 7, verse number 36.
1: Then one of the Pharisees asked
0: him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Behold a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table with the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to, wipe, began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the oil. Now when the Pharisees had... In- Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is unclean, she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightfully judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has ceased not to kiss my feet since the time I have come in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with this fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sit at the table with them begin to say to themselves, Who is this? Even forgive sins. And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just for a few moments, um, we are in our sermon series. How many remembers the sermon series I started last week? The sermon series called Meals with Jesus. Everybody shout that out with me. Meals with Jesus. And uh, we are in this sermon series, and we're going to continue this sermon series all month and maybe a few Sundays in in July. And it's important that you come every Sunday and you listen and you uh, take in what I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as a church, Meals with Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, and I've titled the sermon this morning, Which Debtor Are You? Which Debtor Are You? From our sermon series Meals with Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the present help in the time of trouble. Thank you for the words that you've spoken this morning, your presence that we sense. We pray, Lord, that your word would go forth in power and boldness. It would go forth in good soil, that we would hear your word, obey your word, and we would be believers who would bear much fruit for your kingdom. Lord, we give you praise and give you glory, and everyone shouted a great big amen. So I said a few moments ago, I'm continuing my sermon series on Meals with Jesus. Throughout the book of Luke, we are going to look at the occasions where Jesus had a meal with somebody or a group of people. And we're going to see what happens when Jesus eats with people. It is interesting what happens when Jesus begins to eat with people at the table, Many spectacular things happen. People's lives are changed. People are transformed. All because Jesus was invited to a dinner table and their lives were changed. Do you know that in the book of Acts, or excuse me, in the book of Luke, all throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is eating a lot. Now how many would raise your hand this morning and agree with the preacher, we all love to eat. Raise your hand. There is not one person in this building that we don't like to eat. We all love to eat. And guess what? Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is man too. And Jesus had an appetite. And throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is eating a lot. Everybody shout real loud, Jesus ate a lot. In Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, remember we dealt with this last week. Luke chapter 5, Jesus ate with tax collectors. Luke chapter 7, We are looking at it today. He's eating at the house of Simon. Luke chapter 9, he feeds 5,000 people. Luke chapter 10, he eats at the house of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns a Pharisee of the law at a table while they're eating. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to the meal. And at the meal in Luke 14, he tells the people at the meal that we should invite the poor to the table. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Luke chapter 22, Jesus institutes the Last Supper. Luke chapter 24, the risen Savior eats with his disciples on the way to Emmaus, and then at the end of the chapter, he cooks breakfast for them at the Sea of Galilee. Over and over in the book of Luke, Jesus is eating a lot, and every occasion where Jesus is eating, somebody's life is changed somebody's life is transformed, somebody's life is changed, all because Jesus ate a meal with these people. Somebody said it like this, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's coming home from a meal. Jesus, in the book of Luke, is fellowshipping a lot uh, in the book of Luke. Something happens when Jesus eats with people. And let me propose this question to you, ladies and gentlemen. Is it possible that something could happen when you eat with people? Is it possible that something spiritual could happen when you sit down at the table and you eat with people? You see, do you know that according to experts, we spend 67 minutes a day eating, 67 minutes a day eating. We spend over 38,000 hours in a lifetime eating. And then we eat 35 tons of food in a lifetime. We eat a lot. We are a feasting society. There is a restaurant on every corner. But yet, it seems as though, although we are a feasting society, although we love to eat and we get together, I'm not sure if there's much connection going on at the dinner table. We are a society that plays with our cell phones while we're eating at the table with one another. We're a society that used to sit on the front porch and drink our sweet tea and talk to our neighbors. But now we sit, in the back, we sit on the back porch with an enclosed fence and we don't talk to one another. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus ate with people in the Gospels because Jesus understood it's more than just eating food. It is an opportunity to connect with one another relationally and spiritually. I've asked you last week, I put a challenge forth that I'm asking you not to use your cell phone at the table when you eat with your family. How many honestly made an intentional effort to go about that challenge and not eat at the dinner table with your cell phone? Ladies and gentlemen, people's lives were changed at the dinner table. And can it be, when we sit down with one another, can it be that our lives can be changed? Can it be that you have the potential to change somebody's life? Some of the greatest moments in my life, ladies and gentlemen, is when I was eating dinner with my pastor. And my pastor would look at me and speak something to me as I was eating with him. And I got it from the dinner table and my life was enhanced. My life was changed. My life was transformed. Not only did I feed my physical body, my my spiritual man was fed as well. Can somebody say amen? What about you, ladies and gentlemen? When you sit down at the table, do you take that opportunity to speak to your children? Do you take that opportunity to speak into your children? Do you take that opportunity to not only feed your physical body, but you take that opportunity to relate to people relationally? How many of us sit at the dinner table and we don't even look at each other? You go out to eat and you can tell the people who are married and you can tell the people who are dating. People who are married sit there and don't look at each other and don't say a word. But people who are dating, they will sit right next to each other on the same booth and they'll eat off each other's plate and they'll look at each other in the eye and they will talk to each other. Because what has happened to us? How many knows I'm preaching real good right now? Somebody say amen. So Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus ate with people, and every time he ate with people, something happened. You see, you know what the secret of winning the lost is? Don't lose me. You know what the secret is? The secret of Jesus. And you know what the secret of Jesus was? He was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. You know what Jesus did? He not only forgave them, He associated with them. What would happen if you decide to take a sinner out to eat and you pay for their meal and speak into their life and develop a friendship with them instead of telling them they're going to hell all the time? Can I just say that again because I think that's powerful. What would happen if this church would just get on the board and follow the example of Jesus and start eating with tax collectors, start eating with sinners and speaking life into them? Ladies and gentlemen, this room would not contain the people that God has for us. Us standing outside holding signs, you're going to hell if you don't repent. It don't work no more because some people don't even believe in a hell. Some people don't even believe they're lost. But what would happen if you would be like Jesus and sit down and fellowship with somebody and look them in the eye, and as they're being fed physically, you can also speak to them emotionally and spiritually at the table. Can I hear an amen? Pentecostals, we love to sit down and eat. You know why? It's just not food. We love to fellowship. We love to get to know, and that's what I'm asking you to do after church today. is to fellowship. To sit down at the table and maybe ask your neighbor, what is your name? How long have you been coming to Christ's point? Is there anything I could pray for you about? It is so easy for us to become selfish and think about us and what we have on our plate, what we got to do, when really we are a community and a body of believers. You see, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. Acts number 2, verse 41. I want you to see what happens in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. Acts 2, verse number 41. Then those who gladly received His word was baptized. And there was 3,000 souls added to the church. Now look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, Fellowshipping, breaking of bread, and in prayers. what did happen to the early church? Not only did souls get saved, but they fellowship with one another, and they broke bread with one another. Somebody say there ain't no ship like fellowship. Somebody say that out loud, there ain't no ship like fellowship. So they would get together and they, they would fellowship. Now get this in Jesus' days, in Jesus' day, eating together was a bigger deal than it is today. Now, I want you to think about 2,000 years ago. It it was much different than it is today. 2,000 years ago, eating together, number one, when you sit down at the table to eat together, number one is supported kinship. That meant that you were either in the family or you're out of the family. Your slaves could eat, your Your servants could eat at the table. Your family, it supported kinship. It let people know who was in and who was out of the family. Number two, eating together also enforced boundaries. Because in Jewish, in the Jewish world, sometimes eating at the table enforced boundaries because it was a form of hierarchy. The father would sit at the head of the table. Women usually never sit at the table. And usually it was, if you was an important guest, you could sit at the head of the table. It was a form of hierarchy, status, and gender. It was reinforced at the table. It would also perpetuate social values. In other words, sometimes at the dinner table, they would sing together. Sometimes they would have a Sabbath uh, day of worship, and they would eat together, and they would read the Psalms, they would worship, and they would do ritual washings at the table. So we would reinforce social values of the nation of Israel. And then lastly, it was to gain honor. So if you had a guest, you could set them at the head of the table. And you could uh, put them at the guest and you could honor them. And they, could serve, they would serve them food and your guest would feel honored because they would sit at the head of the table. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus broke all of these rules. Jesus allowed women at the table. Somebody say amen. He allowed sinners at the table. He allowed tax collectors at the table. He allowed his own disciples to pluck grain on the Sabbath day before they ate the food. That was against the social value of the nation of Israel. He was the honored guest at many of the tax collectors and Pharisees' houses. So in other words, Jesus broke all of these rules. Jesus used meals as a means of disrupting social values and overturning normal standards of behavior and honor jesus used this meal jesus would use meals and he would disrupt social values he would overturn normal standards of behavior and he would overturn them and he would institute a new way of fellowship jesus did not jesus did not go against Uh, Jesus did not isolate himself from sinners. He ate with sinners. Jesus did not isolate himself from tax collectors. He ate with tax collectors. Jesus broke all of the rules and he sat down with women. He treated women as equal with men and men with women. He let them both sit down at the table. He associated himself with the outcast and those who were the outcast of the society. That is why when we come to the table of the Lord, the rich is welcome. The poor is welcome. Men are welcome. Women are welcome. Because because the table of the Lord is a sign of fellowship with the creator of the world. Somebody say amen. So Jesus broke all of these rules. Jesus used meals as a way of disrupting social values and overturning normal standards of behavior. He just, he just said, you know, I am going to eat with them. Listen, and, and, and some of us have been in church for so long, we we think it's more spiritual for us to stay away from sinners. Can I say that again? Some of us have been to church for so long that we think it's more spiritual for us to stay away from sinners. But that's not what you see in the Bible. Jesus associated Himself with sinners. He did not partake in their behavior. He did not approve of their behavior, but at the same time, he realized they are sick. I'm the doctor and I got the answer. Do you hear me? In other words, he made contact without contamination. I'm going to say that again. He made contact without contamination. I can be around a sinner and that sinner will not contaminate me. He needs to be afraid of me contaminating him. I'm going to say that again. I can be around sinners. I have no fear of them contaminating me, but they better have the fear that whatever's on me is going to jump off of me and jump on them. Hallelujah. What kind of culture, what kind of church have we developed that we hide behind the walls of the church and use our crucifix. Stay away from me, sinner. We're as bad as monks and nuns. We stay behind closed doors and say our prayers. Read our Bible. Because we've got to stay away from the world because the world might contaminate us. If your holiness, if the holiness by the sanctification of the Spirit is not strong enough to withstand the world, then I don't know if you got the real thing. That does not mean you participate in their behavior. That does not mean you agree with it. But that does mean you have the cure. You are the light of the world. you got the answer. And they will never be cured as long as we stay behind the closed doors. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but this church is about ready to go from A to Z. We're about ready to go. (laughs) Woo! Somebody should just say hallelujah! Hallelujah! Is there anybody that can stand to your feet and say, I felt a witness to that. God is getting ready to do something incredible. Listen, listen, what would happen if you would just have a meal with somebody that you don't go to church with?
1: I write about it. Jesus had a meal.
0: And that meal changed people's lives forever. I remember last year I went home to see my mom and I took my brother out to eat and his girlfriend and so we're sitting there and you know he's not a believer so you know I'm sitting there and the whole time I'm sitting there I'm speaking life to him and he's just moving the, the menu everywhere and all nervous and And I'm just speaking life, (laughs) Talking about how good God is. And talking about how God can change your life. And he's just looking at the menu here. And looking at his girlfriend. Baby, what do you want to eat? I said, well, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. (laughs) You see, you don't know the potential that you have when you just invest your life into something. Some of you got brand. Some of you got nice homes. Are you using it for ministry? God gave you that house. And if all you're doing is just sleeping and eating there, why don't you open your house up and invite somebody that don't know Jesus and lay a spread right there in the kitchen. Pull the chair up and just sit right here. I got a story to tell you today. What would happen? And we spend our whole life not realizing that you can do more for God than what you're doing. You think, you see, you can't be like Sister Linda and go to Guatemala. But you can't open your house up and feed somebody and speak into their life. That was so good. Can I say that again? And you all just fake it like you like it. So it gives me, is that all right? We can't be like Sister Linda and go across the seas, some of us. But we all have a home we can open up. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know because I'm afraid
1: uh, they're going to spill something on my nice carpet. Well, this is some
0: good preaching. Y'all out there tonight? Are y'all okay today? You see, I'm giving it all to you right now. Since you ain't coming back tonight, I'm just giving it all right now. Is that all right? Look to your neighbor and say, <laughs> I really know it's for you because I already got it last week. So just go ahead and say it. I got the point last week. So, look, everybody look up here. It's interesting. I, you know, when I read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I see patterns in the Bible. You see? And we just read the story in Luke 7, right? Is that Right? Before the story, somebody shout before the story. Do you see what happens? In Luke 7, let just everybody look up here. Luke 7, verse 1. You can't see this, but I'm illustrating something to you. Luke 7, that's the beginning of the chapter. Okay? Luke 7, Jesus heals a centurion servant. He heals somebody that's sick. So verses 1 through verses 1 through 10, Jesus has power over disease. So He heals somebody sick. And then in verses 11 through 17, Jesus raises somebody from the dead. So not only does Jesus have power over disease, but Jesus has power over death. Now look at verses 18 through number 35. Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist and the disciples were doubting. And the Scripture says Jesus reassured them that John the Baptist was a true servant of God, so Jesus had power over doubt. And then the story I just read to you, verse number 36 through verses 50, Jesus has power over sin. So that tells me in just one chapter that no matter what you're going through, whatever you're doubting, Jesus has authority over it today. Amen. Now, let's look at this story. Let's look at this story. This story has three characters in it. Jesus, Simon Peter, excuse me, Simon the Pharisee, excuse me, Simon the Pharisee, and the woman of the city. Now, it's a very short story, but a story full of truth. The Bible says that Jesus was invited to the house for supper. Jesus is eating. Everybody shout out, Jesus is eating. Verse number 36, Luke 7, 36. Look at it. Luke 7, verse number 36. I want you to see the words here. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Jesus is at a religious person's house. I don't know about you, church, but it's going to get really sticky in this story. Because Jesus and religious leaders, it don't mix. Jesus is getting ready to sit down to eat at a religious person's house. Now, why would Simon... Invite Jesus to eat with them. Was he trying to trick Jesus? I don't think so. I think that Simon the Pharisee was probably curious of Jesus. He heard about Jesus. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus raise the dead. And so what does a curious person do? Why don't you come to my house, eat with me, because I would like to get to know you. So Simon, the Pharisee, invites Jesus over to his house for dinner because this religious leader, he is curious. He wants to know about Jesus. He wants to ask Jesus some more questions. So Jesus is sitting at the table with the religious leader. And can you just see him? They're sitting there eating that bread or they're eating fish together and they're all sitting there eating together. And then as they're eating there, can you just imagine? Now, in the Jewish world, tables were like a horseshoe shaped, And they didn't have chairs, so they were leaning upon their elbows. They were leaning upon each other. They're eating. They're fellowshipping. And Simon's house, many believe, that usually a Pharisee's house or a Simon's banquet, it was usually a banquet, it was usually in an open courtyard where people from the city could stand around the courtyard and hear the conversation. It was a form of entertainment. Women were not allowed in, but they could stand outside and listen to the conversation between the Pharisee and Jesus. So it was a form of entertainment. So can you imagine Jesus is eating at the table. He is eating the bread, eating the fish. Let's, let's suppose that's what he's eating. And he's talking to Simon, the Pharisee, and Simon is asking Jesus, so tell me, where were you born? And, And, uh, you know, tell me about your family. And uh, so they're sitting there talking and all of a sudden, a woman comes in. She walks in behind Jesus, probably because Jesus' feet is curled in the back. She walks behind Him and the Scripture says she begins to cry. She lets down her hair. She kneels down, gets... She had a expensive oil. She begins to pour the oil and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair and she begins to cry. Begin to use three things, her hair, her tears, and the oil. She's kissing his feet and she's crying. And all of a sudden, I could just imagine Simon, the Pharisee, you know, the religious person, he is sitting there with his arms folded And the Bible says, Simon, the Bible says in verse number 39, look at it, Luke 7, verse 39, look at it behind me. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is that's touching him, for she's a sinner. You see, nowhere, church, does Simon Verbalize it. Simon thought it. Simon sitting there, he's thinking to himself, I can't believe this woman is a woman of the city, so she's probably a what? I can't believe he's allowing this nasty prostitute, rubbing up on his feet, And she has the audacity to let down her hair. This is shameful. And if he was really a prophet, he would really know what type of woman she is. He didn't say it, but he thought it. And is it possible? All of us got a little bit of Simon in us. You would never say it. But we sure do think it, don't we?
1: Oh, you would never
0: verbally say, I'm better than he is. I got more education than he does. I've never slept around and acted like that. And I can't believe, Pastor Josh, would use such a person when I have been Faithful and pure and clean and serve the church. And he has the, I know what he used to do about three years ago because I got it in a text message. (laughs) You would never say it, but all of us got that little Simon inside of us. We sit around in a worship service and we think to ourselves, I can't believe they're acting like that. I know what they've been up to. Sometimes it's not what we say. Sometimes it's what we think. You see, Simon was concerned about he was a religious leader and rightfully so. Let's give kudos to Simon. He wanted to follow the law. He believed in ritual purity. The law stated that an unclean woman could not touch a rabbi. He wanted to follow the law. He wanted to follow the jaw and the tittle of the law. And he's thinking to himself, if Jesus is really the man he's supposed to be, he would know she's a sinner. But what I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen, is that sometimes we bypass the hurts of people and we judge people just because we want to be vindicated in our own righteousness. Sometimes we overlook the hurts of people because we ourselves want to be right. Surely Jesus would know she's a sinner and surely He would know that I'm a religious Pharisee who has been richly pure and clean and I've done all I can to be right with God. Surely Jesus would know this. If we're not careful, all of us can fall in that mindset. I've been to church all my life. I've served God and I've been pure and clean. And can't believe somebody would act like that. You know why this is important? Because I have family members. i got to talk about me because I can't talk about you. But i got family members who... Struggle with drugs, meth, heroin. I, in myself, become frustrated over it. And I went through a period of time thinking they just need to stop it. Grow up. You know, I didn't act like that. And the Spirit said to me as I was praying, He said, son, you would be in that place too. If it wasn't for my hand of protection. understand what I'm saying? If we're not careful, we would never say it with our mouth. But just like Simon, we have the tendency to think it. You see, Simon, get this, Simon was concerned about being pure. Simon was concerned about nobody unclean should be touching us. He was clean on the outside but he was dirty on the inside. You had this woman of the city, a prostitute. She comes in and she breaks up the dinner party. (laughs) She disturbs their meal. I mean, Simon the Pharisee had to put down his chicken bone and can you just imagine Simon Peter? I mean, how many agree with me? How many has ever said, excuse me, at the table? You usually say, excuse me, at the table if you need to go somewhere. Or you say, excuse me, at the table if someone, if your child's misbehaving. You know, excuse me, you know. So you can, that's a sign of correction. It's a sign of pardon. I want to be excused from the table. But can you imagine Simon? Simon? woman coming in.
1: He's thinking, well, excuse me.
0: She comes in, lets down her hair. Now women in the Jewish world would let their hair down as a sign of intimacy with their husband. You know, according to the tradition of the Jews, that you could be divorced. Let me read it to you. Some scholars believe that if a woman would let down her hair in public in front of other men, you could divorce her over it. So can you imagine the Pharisee, Simon, the religious leader? She's coming in and she's just letting her down. He's instantly thinking, well, I know she's nasty. And, 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 you know, she is really coming against the law here. And Jesus needs to wake up and realize what kind of woman she is. She uses her hair, her tears, and I thought about it. Hair? Her tears? Her perfume? The perfume, according to most theologians, was probably used she would take it with her when she would perform her sexual acts with her partner. She would put the perfume on before it she would prostitute us. She's bringing the perfume, thinking to herself, if I smell that good for people who treated me wrong, I'm going to use what I use for the devil, and I'm going to give it to the one who can really make me whole and complete. Listen, listen, listen. Your depth of sin... Your consecration has to match the depth of your sin. She let her hair down. What was her hair? Don't lose me. Her hair was her identity. That showed people you are a woman. Right? Paul said that the hair of a woman is her glory. That was her identity. Her tears was her pain. And the oil was her resources. You see, when you come before God, you've got to learn to give your all in worship. You've got to learn to give worship in your pain. You've got to learn that, listen, when I come to worship, my identity is found, don't lose me, my identity is found at His feet. My identity is found at His feet. While Salmon has his arms folded, sitting at the table, there was one woman that said, My identity, my very person, who I am, begins, is found at His feet. I'm going to use my resources, my identity, my hurt, and my pain is all poured out at your feet if we're not careful, we can judge each other. Say, I don't know why you need to act like that in church. Because you don't know my pain. Let's not stick our nose up start judging people in order for you to know their praise. Gotta know the depth of their pain. Do y'all hear me today? The depth of our worship was because of the depth of her pain. Blesses my heart when I see new converts begin to cry in church and worship. And yet we have those who've been to church for years who sit and complain. They may be even legitimate. What's happened to us? The same God who saves these converts is the same God Is moving among our church. Ladies and gentlemen, the depth of your pain should be expressed in the depth of your worship. She would begin to worship. Jesus knew the thoughts of Simon, and He said, Simon, I know what you're thinking. Simon, can I tell you something? Let me tell you a story, Simon. There's two debtors. Two people that owe a bill. One person owns, he owes 50 denarial. The other one owes 500 this a man, the owner, forgave them both. Now Simon, tell me, which of these two people will love the master more? And Simon, the religious man, scratched his head and said, well, I guess Jesus, the one who has been forgiven more, he will be the one that will love more. And Jesus said, you've answered right. This woman who has come to worship me, this woman who is crying, this woman who is kissing me, this woman who's anointing my feet, she's, be, she's been forgiven of more. She knows the depth of her sin. Jesus said, Simon, when I came in your house, you never kissed me. When I came in my house, You never wash my feet. But this woman, when she came, she never ceased to kiss me. to wash my feet. Because I think somehow, the longer we've been in Christianity and church, we think we don't need to do any of this anymore. Somehow we've arrived. All those people that act crazy, it's really those new converts. They'll settle down in about three or four more years. They'll settle down. Now, you don't have to act like me, but I like to get around people who know how to worship. Is there anybody in the building? You've been forgiven of much. And you can't help but to stand and give Him praise and glory and honor because you've been forgiven of much. I was in my sin. I was in my sin and He's forgiven me. You see, church, I'm almost done. It's, you know what the story is really about? The story, listen, this is what it's about. I read this story over and over and over, and I'm like, God, what, what are you trying to tell me? And I went back and read it again, and the story is really about identity. Simon the Pharisee, his identity was in keeping of the law, making sure things are by the book. This woman's identity was found at his feet. She didn't know the law. She wasn't even allowed at the dinner table.
1: Her identity
0: was found in her forgiveness. Jesus said, go, your your sins are forgiven. That's the four most powerful words you will ever hear.
1: Your sins are forgiven.
0: I've thought to myself, which debtor are we? Are we the one that owes the 50? Are we the one that owes the 500? I mean, is Simon, is he the one in the story that owes the 50 and the woman owes the 500? I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say. I think that Jesus is trying to say the debtor is all of us who owes
1: a lot. Simon, you think you're ritually pure. But inside, not all this woman had nothing. Lose if we can't see ourselves,
0: we can't see ourselves as needing as much forgiveness as the person we can't stand the most
1: that we don't understand our own path.
0: Can I read that to you again? If we can't see ourselves as needing as much forgiveness as the person who we can't stand the most
1: and we don't understand our own depravity. What about it? Lots of things could happen at the dinner table. You don't want to miss next week. Did you enjoy the word today?